All right, well, good morning again. You guys know that a couple of weeks ago, we uh, actually started the book of James. Uh, at Driftwood Church at the Beach, we preached through books of the Bible. And when I announced to my family that I think God wants us preaching through the book of James, uh, I, I, I saw both excitement, but I also saw their face going, oh, because every time I've ever preached through the book of James in 30 years of ministry, something happens. And uh, God gives us an opportunity to apply it. God gives us that opportunity to count it all joy when different trials and tests come into our life because we know that those tests bring us closer to him. And so although we kind of dread it and going, oh, we have to remember what the word of God says that in order to increase our faith, we have to count it all joy knowing that God is going to use this trial to bring us closer to him. And this time in preaching through the book of James is no exception. As you know, uh, last week, unless you skipped church last week, how many of y'all skipped church last week and you're going to find out for the very first time right now that I have been debilitated with kidney stones for two weeks. All right, I'm glad you admitted that right now, but uh, you can go back and find out that last week JJ preached and... Uh, uh, because I woke up about four o'clock in the morning and, and text them and said, JJ, I think you are up, man. I'm not going to make it. And, uh, but the way it all kind of went down was, man, we preached through the book of James and, uh, then went through our normal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Bible studies. And after my Wednesday night Bible study, man, I woke up in the middle of the night in pain and kind of, it sort of was mild and went away, you know, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday thing. Okay, well, that was a fluke. And I think it was just hiding. I wasn't healed at that point. Uh, or there were more growing. But by the next Wednesday's Bible study, oh my goodness, I went to bed that night. And then I woke up with the most excruciating pain. For those of you who have ever had kidney stones, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't had them, you will have to have them to know what I'm talking about. I have had women who have delivered babies. Now, I'm not saying uh, uh, by my own experience, but I am saying I have had women who have delivered babies without drugs say that kidney stones passing them was equally, if not more painful, probably in a different way. Okay, so I'm just saying they hurt, buddy. Oh my goodness, it's not the worst trial I've ever been through, and it won't be the worst I'll be, I, I will go through. But I'll tell you what, when you're in the middle of it, it is real. Bill, can I get an amen on that? Yeah, dude, that guy's a kidney stone farmer, dude. He grows them like that. And I know a few of you guys that grow big ones too, man. And so anyways, man, so I woke up after Bible study and Thursday morning, oh, I was praying that Jesus would just come and take me home right then and there because I knew there was no solution to the pain. Unless you think I'm joking, man, even some pain medication that, was, that, that, I, that, that I had later, there were times where that pain medication didn't even touch it. And all I could remember is what I had preached in James where I'm supposed to count this all joy curled up in a fetal position in a bathtub or wherever I found myself in that under a bush. It didn't matter where when it hits, dude, you're just curled up in a fetal position saying, God, help me count this all joy at this point in time. And I want to tell you, God has indeed taught me some things that I will share with you through this message out of James as we continue in the book of James. Now, 
Just want to pre-qualify this to let you know that all glory, all honor, all praise goes to him. In fact, the scripture that I am going to be speaking of today tells us we are supposed to brag on God and what God does in this situation for us. Because sometimes I hear people say, well, you shouldn't really talk about yourself and your testimony and your situation because, you know, people think you're talking about you and how good you are. And like, No, that's not it. I am worthless. I am nothing without him. And the scripture we're going to look at today says I am supposed to brag to you on what God taught me and how he got me through this. And, and so that is exactly what I'm going to do because I don't want to be disobedient in case that's one of the ways he wants to get my attention is with more kidney stones. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and let's jump in James chapter one. And since it's been a couple of weeks, I'm just going to hit the highlights of the first few verses again. And again, James chapter one, it starts off and says this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, James was actually the half brother of Jesus that grew up with Jesus. He grew up with a perfect brother and James got and, and, and Joe, uh, uh, Jude and the other brothers, Joseph, they got probably blamed for everything because obviously we know Jesus didn't do it, right? He was perfect. And so there was a lot of resentment. Then Jesus came out and said, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, oh, you're a nut. They, the scripture tells us that they thought he was crazy. He was off his rocker and they were embarrassed. And then they're like, prove it if you are. And he said, no, the father doesn't want me to. And then he went to the cross and was crucified. And they had mud on their face, according to the world, the same way Jesus did. And they were like, what in the world happened to our lives? But then when Jesus made a post-resurrection appearance to James, and James saw that Jesus had been dead, buried, and rose again, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And from that point on for James, it was game on. Oh my goodness, I grew up. I got to spend more time with Jesus than even the disciples got to spend with him. And it was like, man, I want to surrender the rest of my life to the Messiah who God gave me the privilege of growing up with. And so it's interesting, James doesn't come to you and say, yes, the brother of Jesus. Yes, the senior lead pastor at the biggest church in Jerusalem. He didn't come to you saying that. Look what he does. He says, this letter is from James, the slave of God. When you surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about someone and become their slave, you no longer call the shots. They are the master and you submit to what they bring into your life. And if we submit to a loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, um, omnipresent God, man, we can trust that whatever he has us submit to is going to be worth it. It is part of his plan for our good and for his glory. And so James says, man, I am just a slave of God. That's all the credentials I have, and that's all the credentials we are supposed to have when we give our life to Christ. But he goes on and he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Now again, we don't really exactly know when James was written. We believe, according to history, that James was martyred somewhere around 62 AD. We know around 70 AD that the temple was destroyed and it was neither a good time to be a Jew or a Christian or anything that resembled it. And there was intense persecution around. And But we know that the persecution started earlier. And we know that if you were a Jew, the minute you got saved, you lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your status, you lost everything. And 
and now you were living under persecution. But even before Christ came, the Jews had been scattered since Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and then now under Romans. So, so he's speaking specifically to Jewish people who had given their life to Christ because they believe he is the Messiah. And so that's who he's writing to, but it's applicable to all of us. In fact, Paul even says that if you have given your life to Christ, you're a spiritual Jew. So this is applicable to you. And so he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Three days after preaching the first message in James, when I woke up in the middle of the night, three and a half days later, and I woke up with an excruciating pain in my lower body, and I wanted to complain, and I went, oh, God, take me away, and all, man, the words counted all joy, counted all joy, counted all joy. He was drilling those into my head, and I'm like, God, how do I count this joy? And he reminded me again that the joy is not in the pain. The joy is not in the process. The joy is in the final result when my life is now closer to him than it was before the trial. And I will attest to you today, my life is closer to him than it was before this trial. And for those of you who prayed for me and watched God pulverize these stones through prayer so they could be passed, your life should be closer to him than it was before my trial. And by the way, thank you for those prayers because I do believe it was the power of your prayers that God wanted to bring together to pulverize things. But he says, man, count it all joy when troubles of any kind, that's kidney stones, coronavirus, it's anything. Troubles of any kind come into your life guess what it's going to do? It's going to put the rich, the poor, everybody in between all on level ground where nothing we have will work and the only solution is Christ. God has to do that sometimes because we are very resourceful. He's made us that way. We try to work it out, but he wants to bring something into our lives that will cause us to get closer to him and it will build us endurance is what the next part says. Verse three, he says, you know that when your faith is tested, and by the way, the only faith that can be trusted is a tested faith. If your faith has never been trusted, like an anchor line, Captain Mac, right? right? You don't know if that anchor line's gonna work. You don't know if your knot's gonna work. You don't know if the anchor's gonna hold until it's tested. But once it's been tested and it's been pulled against and it works, man, now you have confidence to use it again. And now you can have even bigger storms and get more confidence and more confidence and more confidence. And that's what he's trying to not give us confidence in some kind of cloth or metal, you know, cloth, rope, line, or some metal anchor, but he wants to give us confidence in him. So our faith has to be tested so that we can know that we can trust it. It's all for our good and it's for God's glory. So he says in verse three, for when you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Man, you have a chance. That's a chance. But so often, as soon as a trial comes into our life, what do we do? Oh, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, cast it out. Let's get it out of here. I don't want anything bad in my life. Anything that's going to mess up my schedule, mess up my plans, mess up my job, mess up my... I don't want it here. And he says, this is a chance. It is a chance for our faith to grow. Well, I want my faith to grow because he's instantly removed it. 
Well, guess what? I'm going to teach you in Scripture today that it takes patient endurance. And that doesn't sound like instant situation, does it? We're going to see some things take time. That's how he wants to grow our faith. So next time that trial comes, you're like, Psst. or you're at least like, okay, I know where the solution is <laughs> as you're doubled over in a fetal position. But the idea is that he says your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, whether you want to let it grow or not, that's up to you. Whether you want to drug yourself up, you want to go right to the, you know, wherever you got to go, get rid of it as quick as possible. That's, that's, that's your choice. And I'm not saying that's not what you're supposed to do sometimes in some situations, but the idea is to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And in this, he will remind you of what the purpose is, and that is that you grow tighter with him. If pressure doesn't get between you and him, it pushes you closer together. But if it gets between you and him, it pushes you farther apart. When you start depending on other things other than God, it pushes you farther apart. So he says, man, here's your chance to grow. Do you want to grow or do you not? If God were to offer me right now, hey, dude, you want some kidney stones tonight? I'm going to be honest with you. I'd probably decline and say I've still got the, I've still got the lessons fresh in my mind. But if by chance, oh, God forbid, and I'm covering this with the blood of Jesus, <laughs> if tonight I wake up and there's kidney stones, yes, I'm going to cry. Yes, I'm going to be disappointed. Yes, I'm going, but I'm going to have to apply this scripture again, and I'm going to have to say, count it all joy. God, you must not be done teaching me. God, you must still need to show me some more things. God, you must still need to increase my faith. And as much as I don't want to go through this test, I've got to because you know everything. You can do anything and you are everywhere and I am your slave and it's your choice, not mine. And it's for my good and it's for your glory. You got no idea how many times I had to say that to myself over and over and over and over again. And it was only because the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, kept reminding me of those words that I preached to you. And Lord, I don't ever want to be the preacher that doesn't practice what I preach, man. And I thought about that a million times as I was laying in those fetal positions. Count it all joy. God, I know the process is going to bring me closer to you and I'm going to share those with you. So he goes on, he says in verse four, you got a chance to grow, so let it grow. If you have a chance to grow more in love with God, then let it grow. If you have a chance to grow your faith, let it grow. It's a faith in someone that will never let you down. Man, this economy can let you down, amen? Your job can let you down. Our government can let us down. Our even family can let, I'll let you down. I promise at some point you put your faith and trust in me. I'm not gonna do it on purpose, but I'm gonna let you down because I'm a human and I am not perfect. But man, when our faith is in the living God, he is perfect and he will not let us down. He says, you got a chance to grow, let it grow. For when your endurance your endurance, that's, that's endurance in your faith, being able to believe, knowing it's not a matter of if, but when God does something. When your endurance is fully developed, <laughs> I like to think it's fully developed. I, I'm, I'm good, God. I'm fully developed right now as far as kidney stones are concerned and the, the lesson I'm supposed to learn. But that's not my choice. That's his. He said, when it's fully developed, you will become perfect and complete, needing nothing. Not that you're going to be sinless, but you will, have a, you will have learned what he wanted you to learn. You will have your faith tested in a way that he wanted to test it. And so he will have accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in that trial. And when he's done, the trial will be over. Even when Jesus 
went into the wilderness right after baptism. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible tells us that even when he was done, the devil left and angels ministered to him. And God knows when to rescue and God knows when to test you. We've just got to continue to see it from his perspective. He said, man, you're not going to need anything more concerning this once you make it through this trial. You've got some on-the-job training. You've got some experience. You know you can trust me for whatever you need to trust me for. And then verse 5 tells us, kind of interesting. He says, now if you forget this, if you forget the purpose of it, if you need to see it from my perspective again, he said, you can ask me. And, and unlike somebody who's impatient, don't worry about me getting mad at you for asking me over. How many of y'all get upset when somebody asks you the same question over and over again? Hey, why's that? Why's that? Why's that? And you answer it and then they ask you again. How many wives get upset with their husbands when we ask the same question? I want to tell you, it's not because we're stupid. We're just trying to translate. Google Translate did not have wife and ease in there. And we're trying to get clear direction so that we don't mess up. But, <laughs> and I can't even say we're getting better, but I can say we're trying. But my point is, man, is that, and I appreciate my wife being patient with me, but I know she does get frustrated when I want clarification sometimes. But God says, if you lose perspective on why the trials in your life, you can ask him as many times as you want, and he's not going to blow you. He's not going to get upset. Look what it says, verse 5. If you need wisdom, wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. He said, if you need wisdom, he said, go find the most scholarly person you know about this. Go find the most, the person who has the greatest education about this. Go find the person with the most experience about this. Go find the person who knows the most, who's experienced the most and all of that. And it's not the person you think. Who is the one that knows everything? Who's the one that can do anything and the one that's everywhere? The most knowledgeable, the most scholarly, the, the one that can help you. He says, if you need to know why this is in your life, you need to ask, ask our generous God. You need wisdom, ask our generous God. Go to him first. God, why is, okay, God, I already know why. It is here so that I can see life from your perspective. Count it all joy. You've got some things to work on in my life. I don't even know what they are. I got some ideas. Let's get going because I don't want to drag this test out any longer than it has to be. And God just says, take it easy. It's going on my time, not yours. <laughs> because how quick would be my time? Bam, there it is. It'd be like I took, when I took the SAT in high school, man. Dude, I didn't want to, I got bored filling out all that. Dude, I just started Christmas treeing, man. You know, I want to get that test over with and go, and I'll take whatever I got from it. I ain't saying that's the right way to do it. But I know that's how I would do spiritual tests too. That's why I'm glad God's in charge. Because I'm going to get what I'm supposed to get out of the test that he's got me going through. So he says, man, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You can ask. And there were times during this trial where I said, God, why? And he'd say, because I want you closer to me. God, why? Three seconds later, because it was the only thing. If I was talking to him, I was thinking about that and not my pain. He didn't care if I asked him every two seconds. He didn't care if I asked him after the period, after every sentence. He didn't care. In fact, he loved the time with me. That's one of the reasons it came into my life. It says in verse 6, but when you ask, be sure your faith is in God alone. In other words, he starts talking to you and say, yeah, God, well, I don't want to do it that way. Well, yeah, God, I don't really want that result. Yeah, God, I'm not interested. God, here's what I want, and I'm demanding of you. I'm calling. I, may, I want you to do this, this, this. You even, you know, all these things. No. 
It says, but when you ask him and he gives the answer, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. A person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as the waves of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because here it is, God tells you, here's the reason. And, you're, and then next minute you're like, oh, well, I'm a, here's, here's another reason. Everybody else told me this, told me this, and you're over here, and all of a sudden you're dissatisfied. You come back to God. Guess what? Here you're totally unsatisfied. Whereas if you will stick with the one who knows what's really going on, which is God, he will keep, re he will keep, keep reinforcing the real reason why it's all going down and keep you focused and on the fact that he's got it all under control. He said, man, you don't want to be like a boat where you've got waves tossing you back and forth. You want an anchor, and the anchor is Christ. He said, verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. There it is, God and the world. My understanding and God's, uh, what's the word that we use so often as, as far as, as faith is, uh, what's Seth's word, guys, help me out? It is, uh, what's that? Counterintuitive. Yes! Faith is counterintuitive. God, I have too much to do to have kidney stones right now. This is counterintuitive. Guess what? That's him. You want to you wanna fight him? Go ahead and fight him. Prolong it all out, man. But he says your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And you are going to be unstable, the word of God says, in everything you do. Because with every situation, you're going to be over here, you're going to be over here, you're going to be over here. It is much easier to live for an audience of one. And sometimes God's got to bring a trial into our life to keep us focused so that we don't take and live this situation here and here and this one here and here. That's hard work. Stay focused on Him and understand His purpose. And His purpose is always His glory and our good. And the good is us becoming more like Him. Now... Here's where the new scripture comes in that we're looking at today. And, uh, and he, what he's going to tell us, whether we're rich or whether we are poor. Okay, whether we're rich and we have all the resources in the world or whether we have absolutely no resources. I am going to tell you on the authority of God's word, you don't have what it takes to make it through this test. I know the world's telling you something different. We're all in this together, right? As the celebrities are lined up on their boats and they have spelled out, you know, be safe or whatever they're spelling out. And everybody's not in the same boat. Everybody is in the same boat. And everybody's arguing. You know what? I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. You don't have what it takes to get through this crisis. You don't have what it takes to get through any crisis. You have what it takes to maybe muddle through it, to make it through it but you're gonna miss what God has really brought you into this crisis for, whether it's Corona vision or it, <laughs> Corona vision. <laughs> Isn't that what we've got right now? Corona vision, or we, we've got kidney stones, whatever crisis you got. Well, the fact is rinse due, man, and I ain't got it. And I know that's where a lot of people are at. Well, unemployment, I haven't got it, it's coming. Whatever crisis you are in, man. God has got a purpose for it, and it is for his glory and for our good to make us more like him. And you, in your own resources, whether you got the biggest bank account or the littlest one, you don't have what it takes. Every one of you been through a crisis. Somebody dies in your family, man. Some, something goes, man, something where you have, you're just crushed emotionally. Tell me how good your bank account works there. 
When you're crushed emotionally, how good do all your recreation? You don't even want to go do the recreational things you have because you're crushed inside. The only one who's going to be able to fix that crushed heart inside is God Almighty. You don't have what it takes to get through whatever crisis you've got, but I have good news. God does. So help me out on that. All right. So I'm going to say you don't have what it takes. Say, I don't have what it takes. Everybody come. say one, two, three. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But God does. But God does. One more time on that. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But God does. God does. You need to look in the mirror every day and you need to remind yourself of that because we have a way as a human to keep trying to make it come. Going in survival mode. Take what little bit of whatever I have to make it through that I've used in the past or whatever. That's what I've got to do in order to get through this. No, you got to give up. Give up and surrender to him. And then if he wants you to use what you have, then you use it. But what we do is we use it first. We're like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to do all these things. And then when it doesn't work, okay, God, what do I do? And God said, well, now that you just wasted all those resources, <laughs> in other words, what he really wants us to do is come to him first. Count it all joy, because that's the purpose of the trial is to come close to him. And we count it all joy and we ask him, he says, oh, yeah, now I want you to take this resource you have and this one. Hey, I want you to call that person and I want you to let that person know and that person. It was interesting when my pride finally went away and I was going to admit to somebody, I need you to pray hard. Right there, there were two people from my past life that immediately texted me. I'm going to call you all out. It was Ben Lloyd and it was Dave Hook out of the blue, texted me for something else. And I said, hey, guys, <laughs> you know what? Right now, I'm kind of not focused real good on what you're asking me. I have kidney stones and will you pray for me? And oh, my goodness, did God start bringing heaven down when those two people started praying for me? And then I saw that, and then God reminded me, man, there's more people that want to pray for me, more people that want. And it was a beautiful thing to watch all that happen. But I'm going to be real honest with you, man. In my pride, there was some pride like, oh, I can get this. I don't want to bother people. Everybody's got their own Corona vision. They've got their own stuff going on right now. They're seeing it. Man, I don't want to bother people. But man, what a blessing it has. People have told me it was a blessing to be able to pray because it got their mind off their junk. But yet in myself, I thought I didn't want to bother them. So in this, you know what I want to remind you is you do not have what it takes to get through this trial. But who does? God does. God does. We got to go to him first. So he tells us there's good news. We only got three little verses. Terry, three little verses today. How long could that take, man? <laughs> Terry's not even under the boat in the shade spot. He is out in the sun today. So he knows, man, three little verses. So the first thought I want to, I want to bring to you is out of James 1.9. He says, even if you don't have anything to get through this trial, good news, God does. <laughs> you ever been in a trial where you got absolutely nothing to get yourself through it? You got something going on, you're like, I got no, I got no ace in the hole. I got no move. I can't. There, I don't even have a clue what to do in this situation. Well, you know what he says? He says, good news. He says, I got it. Listen to what it says in, in verse uh, 9, chapter 1. He said, believers. So first of all, you got to be a believer. You need to give your life to Christ. Because just the very nature of someone who's never given their life to Christ is the nature of someone who says, I'm doing it on my own. Somebody who says, you know what? One day, I don't know what Christ did on the cross. 
one day when I face God, if I even face him, if that's even real and that's a thing, I'll be able to talk to him and I'll tell him I'm better than all these other believers or I'll be able to, I'll be able to talk my way through it. I'll be able to do something. I'll worry about it then, but I'll be able on my own merits to be able to get through and get to heaven if that's what's going to actually happen. And I'm telling you right now, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. As a believer, we realize that there's no sacrifice we could ever perform to cover our sins and take our sins away. That's why God himself came down as Jesus Christ. He died on a cross after living a perfect human life, the only one to ever do that. He, was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to prove to us that if we put our faith and trust in him, when we're dead, he can raise us from the dead. And he promised he would if we put our faith and trust in him. So he says for believers, if you're counting on him to raise you when you're dead, can't you count on him to get you through the trials that he's allowed you to get into when the purpose of it is to draw you closer to him? So he says in verse 9, believers who are poor. Now that doesn't necessarily have to do with cash. That's how we look at it most of the time, and it certainly does have to do with finances. You got no money, man, you can't squeeze blood out of a rock, but that's not only true with money, that's true with anything. Poor means you don't have what it takes to get through this trial. You have a situation and you have no resources. You are poor. He said, man, believers who are poor have something to boast about. <laughs> there it is. They have something to brag about when God gets them through this trial. And that's why, again, if you have a problem with me bragging on what God did and telling you about this testimony, man, I think you need to get right with the Lord because he wants us to brag on him on how he took us as sinful people and he has changed our desires, given us abilities we didn't have to get us through situations so the world can say, how did that happen? I still have people shaking their head and scratching their head saying, dude, you didn't get rid of your kidney stones. Those people didn't pray your kidney stones away. They're coming back, they're whatever. And, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you other than the fact that I'm bragging on God for what he did. So here's what he says. Believers who are poor have something to brag on God about, to boast about, for God has honored them. How has God honored somebody who is poor and has absolutely nothing to get themselves through a trial? He's honored them by, be, by, letting, by being used by him. He's honored them by giving them what it took to get through the trial. I had nothing to get through the trial, so the only way I'm getting through the trial is if he gives it to me. And he wants to do things so supernatural that only he can get blamed. So when it happens, everybody says, how did that happen? And you give them an explanation like, well, I don't know if I buy that or not. I don't care if you buy it or not. This is what happened because somebody's buying it. Somebody's faith is being increased. Somebody knows this is what Almighty God did. So this is what happens. So he says, man, the poor person, if you don't, you're saying, man, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I got nothing. You don't understand my bank account. You don't understand my family situation. You don't understand. I don't have to, but he does. And if you have nothing to get through this trial, rejoice. God wants to honor you if you will have faith, if you will patiently endure. You will try to see life from his perspective. He wants to get you through it so you can help others see it from his perspective. He wants you to be able to brag on him. So if you don't have what it takes to get through it, be look up because who does? God does. God has what it takes. So he says believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honored them. Man, what an honor it is to be used by God. Man, have you ever been used by God? You know what he said? Paul told us, he said, man, we have this, this treasure in an earthen vessel. You know what an earthen vessel is? It's baked 
dirt. <laughs> it is a clay pot. Next time you think your body's all that hot, next time you think you look all that good with that new hairdo and all that, remember what Paul said, you're baked dirt. We're supposed to do the best we can with what we got where we're at, and some of y'all are trying, I see. I am too. <laughs> but what I'm saying, it's not about that outside part. It's about the inside part. We have a treasure. He doesn't make that outside so spectacular so that, so that when something spectacular happens, people see what's inside, which is Christ. We have this treasure so nobody mixes it up and gives you any of the glory. So we got to make sure that that's what they see out of believers who are poor have something to boast about. God has honored them. But what if you say, well, I've got resources. God has blessed me. I got a bank account. I'm going to make it through. I got these situations going on. I've got a cabinet full of drugs to get me through all of this, <laughs> you know, and, and I know you guys do. I'm just saying, you know, not illegally, but prescriptions that you didn't use all of all. I got what I need. I got all the knowledge. I've been through this. I want to tell you, you're in a dangerous position. Even if you have everything, you don't have enough to get through this trial. But God does. Even if you think you have everything, you don't have enough to get through this trial. But God does. Listen to James verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He said, And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. In other words, you're counting on your own resources. <laughs> How many of y'all tried to do it your way? <laughs> and you found out in trying to do it your own way that it didn't work, that you didn't have what it took to get through this whole situation. I found that out this week. I got this, I got this, I got this knowledge, I got this. Dude, I didn't have what it took to get through it. People even gave me advice and, and helpful hints on how to get through, but it didn't work. I don't, even though I have everything, I don't have enough to get through this trial. But who does? God does. Listen to this. And those who are rich should boast. Here's boasting on God again. Yes, God has blessed me with all these awesome things, but it's not enough to get through the situation he's just put me in. My heart is broken. My emotions are wrung out from this situation. It's amazing how trials level the ground between rich and poor people in all areas. And that's the purpose because we find out no matter what social status God has brought us in, no matter what resources we have or don't have, we find out that we all have to depend upon him. And those who are rich should boast, should brag that God has humbled them. Listen to what he says about our stuff. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. All the things I was counting on to get me through this before I counted on God. It was like a little flower in the field when the sun came up. It was going to destroy it. Verse 11, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. So all of our achievements, all of our possessions, all of... Anybody who has all those achievements and possessions who is a believer knows you have hit situations where none of those things help. Amen? You need God. And that's why God has brought the trial. So last but not least, in the last verse we're going to talk about today, in verse 12, he said, For this trial, all you need is God. So whether you're dirt poor or filthy rich, it doesn't matter in your trial. None of it's going to work. Oh, yes, it may help you get through better than somebody else, but you're going to miss the real purpose of the trial. James 1.12, listen to what he says. God blesses. God blesses. 
that's not momentary, man. That's that blessing. The best way to describe the word blessing is just satisfaction, man. Satisfaction, like, cool, I'm good with this. I'm okay with this. That's the blessing that you get. He said, God blesses those who, listen to this, patiently endure. So those of us who live in this instant society that want to take a pill and have the pain immediately gone. We want to go through a procedure and have it immediately fixed. I think often we miss what God wants to accomplish in a situation. He says, man, he's blessing those who patiently endure. Does patiently endure describe a long period of time or a teeny tiny instantaneous bit of time? Man, it's like barbecue, dude, low and slow, like smoking meat, man, low and slow. You try to cook it quick, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be good, and you're going to think, who in the world could ever eat this? But, man, you do it low and slow, dude. It's awesome, and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And that's what God wants to reveal through your life in a trial sometimes. He wants you to patiently endure. He's, he's, he's barbecuing you low and slow, so when it comes out, people say, wow, how did this happen? And you have to say it was him. God blesses us who patiently endure testing and temptation. Testing comes from outside, which is what we've been talking about. Temptation, we're going to start learning next week, comes from inside. It starts with us. And we'll talk more about that next week. But look what he says afterwards. After the trial is over, he said, they who have patiently endured and been blessed by God will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Now, I want to tell you what this crown of life, you patiently endure, and once you're done, you now have a crown of life. You're saying, well, where's yours? I want to tell you what it isn't. It isn't some gold crown, you know, with jewels all on it to make you look all special and all. That's not what it is. In fact, the word crown is the word Stephanos, which more refers to like a, 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 a crown of leaves that Olympian champion in the Olympics would have gotten. But it's not even talking about a physical crown. Well, what it's talking about is the opposite of the crown of death. How many of you ever went through a trial and you felt more dead than you felt alive? You went through a trial and you did it and you accomplished it on your own resource. And you're like, wow, I hope that never happens. And boy, that was the most horrible thing in my life. How many of y'all went through a trial and said, man, I wouldn't trade what I've gotten out of that for the world. That's what the crown of life is. When you get out of it what God wants you to get out of it. When you are a victor on the other side, not because of you, not because of your faith. God has to even give you your faith. But it's because you stayed so in touch with God. Anytime anything tried to squeeze between you and God, you didn't let it. You kicked it out and you went right back to God again and again and again and again. And through patient endurance, you see how God didn't let you down and God got you through this whole thing. And you have a crown of life and part of that crown of life is endurance. It's faith that has now grown that couldn't grow any other way. He said, man, after this, once you've patiently endured, you're going to receive the crown of life that God has promised. You stick with God and don't let anything get between you and him in this trial. You will have victory. He promises that. And it may not be in your circumstances change. It may be way more valuable like it was for me. But he promises that for people who love him. And when we love him, we say, God, I know this is for your glory. I know this is for my good so I can represent you better. I don't like it, but God, I, I love the end result and I'm waiting for that end result. Don't let anything get between me and you.
So here's four things I learned really quick over my kidney stone situation. Sin and sensitivity, suffering and sovereignty. And I'll share those with you briefly. Sin, man, the very first thing happened, I can remember being in the fetal position, having the bathtub wall this close to me. If I ever build a house, I'm building a giant bathtub. <laughs> or I'm just gonna get a cattle trough and figure out how to boil water and lay in that. But I'm just saying, dude, as I was there, the, one of the first things I was asking God, God, is there sin in my life that I need to get rid of? God, is there sin in my life that you're trying to get my attention and you know I'm not going to listen any other way? And he said, yes. And I'm, you're the pastor. Yes. He said, yeah, there's sin and you know what it is. Yeah, there's sin in your life. You need to get rid of that. Yeah, there's sin. And he brought up stuff that I already knew, but until the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same, we don't change. Well, guess what? The pain to change was now greater than the pain to stay the same. And I'm like, all right, God. Remind me of this pain every time I want to dive into this sin. Every time I want to just stick my foot into this sin. Every time I want to experience this, remind me of this and, 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 and take it out of my life. Take away the desire for it. And there were numerous sins that he kept bringing up. I was like, is there anything else? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, stop. Is there anything else? And he's like, yeah, there's another one. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm the pastor. I can't have all these. Like, yeah, that's why you're the pastor. <laughs> you know, you need to fix this so other people can learn too. And so after the ones that I already knew, I'm like, is there anything else? And he's like, yeah, here's some that you forgot about. Here's some ones that you've justified. Here's some ones that you've excused. Here's some ones that you've just kind of molded in society that are acceptable. And I'm like, oh, God, I repent of those too. <laughs> because it's funny how every time you remind him, sharp pains would come in because he knew I needed those. <laughs> I'm like a mule sometimes. And don't you be laughing because you are too. And then I'm like, is there anything else? And he said, yeah, here's some stuff you had no clue about. So God took care of a lot of sin in my life. Now, I'm not perfect by any means, but I got a bunch of stuff in my life that, man, I am now cognizant of that I don't want to be a part of. He took care of some sin in my life. But you know what he also did? Once he got done with that, because he knows when to rest you and he knows when to test you, I started saying, God, all right, so what else? And he said, well, let's talk about not just sin, but let's talk about your sensitivity. I'm like, what do you mean, God? I love people. I love hanging with them. I love spending time with them. He's like, yeah, but has there ever been a time where someone's called you and they've been really hurting? Maybe emotionally. Maybe somebody's called you and they've been hurting physically. Maybe they've been really hurting and you didn't really have time for them because you were too busy doing this or too busy doing this. Were there times when you had the opportunity to speak to somebody and be more sensitive? Well, I'm allowing this in your life to remind you that that person may be hurting mentally, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually more than you're hurting physically right now from these kidney stones. And I want you to remember that if I bring someone into your life and they're hurting, man, I want you to be sensitive to them. And buddy, if I, I got to tell all of you, you know, I love you, you know, I'm human and you know, I've probably disappointed you. But I want to tell you that if I have ever not been sensitive and blown you off at a time when you've needed me, at a time when you need to hear God's perspective and I didn't give you the time of day or just gave you some textbook pastor answer, I am sorry. That's one of the things God's working on me and I'll never be perfect at it. And you still may catch me at a time when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm busy, when I'm thinking about myself, but man, he's teaching me. Through this suffering, he's now made this, me aware of this. So he's taken care of some sin and sensitivity in my life that I would not have learned any other way except going through these kidney stones. But not only has he taught me about that, 
but he also taught me about suffering. Not my suffering, but Christ's suffering. Because I was told a long time ago when I became a believer that when you suffer, try to identify with Christ. And I've told people that token, but I will tell you what, during this time, I'm like, all right, God, what was your suffering like on the cross? What was your suffering like when the disciples blew you off at night and they didn't even want to pray with you and they wouldn't pay attention and they were all talking about who's going to be number one in the kingdom when they weren't getting it? What was your mental suffering like? How about when you got beat, when you got beat beyond recognition, when people were accusing you, when people were spitting on you, when you got crucified, when you were laying up there on the cross and you were dying of suffocation as you couldn't hold yourself up and your diaphragm was strangling your lungs and you were suffocating and you had to decide to pull your human body back up and rip your arms just to be able to get a breath. What was your suffering like and why did you do it? And he kept reminding me my suffering was because I love you and I want you to understand how much I love you because the suffering you're going through is nothing compared to what I went through but I know you needed me to do this buddy I'm gonna tell you this even though my suffering wasn't like Christ I was able to identify and understand what he did for me a little bit better than I was before this test and last but not least not just the Christ suffering but God's sovereignty oh my goodness I knew that was my hope from James. This trial will not last forever. It's not going to last forever. Whatever trial you're in won't last forever. You won't last forever. And if you're a believer and you die, you're going to heaven and the trial's over. And you've got a home in paradise forever, never to have trials again, because your faith will be perfect. But while you're here, there will be persecution if you live for him. While you're here, there will be trials because he's trying to make you more like him. But his sovereignty is what brought me hope. That he knows when to test me and he knows when to rest me. And there's great confidence in knowing that the one who knows when to test me and when to rest me, that he knows everything, that he can do anything, and that he is everywhere. If anybody's going to test me, that's the one I want to test me. And I would not trade those four things. There's more things I learned through this, but those are the four things that really stick out. My sin and, and lack of sensitivity, his suffering and his sovereignty. Man, you can't take those away. I own those. But it's only through this trial. Don't miss what he's got for you in any of the trials. And the only reason I have it is because I just kept saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. I don't want anything. I'm not letting anything get between me and you in this so reiterating again, I want to remind you, you don't have what it takes to get through this trial, but God does. Even if you don't have anything to get through this trial, God does. Even if you have everything, you don't have enough to get through this trial, but God does. For this trial, all you need is God. And you know, if you have them, let the trials develop your relationship with them. Keep that perspective. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you're not a child of his, if he's not on your mind all the time, if he's, if he's not the love of your life, man, you better check to see whether you've given your life to him or not. He's not just some token hell insurance policy we buy. He's not just something we pull out of the medicine cabinet when we need some comfort. Paul said, not just for him, but for all of us, he said to live is Christ, to die is better. So if your life is not Christ, you need to give your life to Christ. Not only for heaven, but for right now to have a purpose for living. My purpose for living 
is to become more like him and give him glory. And he's given me opportunities to do it, and that's yours if you're a believer. And one day I got a home in heaven. So if you're not sure that's where you're at, here's the gospel. The gospel is we're all sinners. Everyone's done something wrong. Nobody's done everything right. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the wages, what you earn from being a sinner, is eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is death. It is death, being separated from God forever and ever, or not having his saving power on you. What a terrible thing that would even be to be in hell and know that God is the one that could have saved you, but you rejected him. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave us a gift. He sent his only begotten son to live a perfect life as 100% God and 100% man on this planet. And when he was crucified and died, he was buried, but he was risen again. And God said his perfect life is a sacrifice to pay for your sins. And he's risen from the dead to prove that he has the power to rise you from the dead when you're dead, since there's nothing you can do about it. If you will believe in him, and that Greek word believe means to put all your faith and trust in him, not some of it. It's like you're doing with you're sitting in a chair right now. If that chair were to collapse, you'd collapse. That's what all your faith, that's what the word believe means, putting your faith and trust in him. If you have the desire right now to put all your faith and trust in Him, just surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Him. There's no magic prayer. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. It's just you surrendering, saying, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to pay for my sins. I understand what you did by faith pays for my sins, and I want to surrender myself to you. I want to live the rest of my life with you, and that includes in heaven eternally. John in the book of John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, a religious man, and he said the desire to do that is like the wind. You may have been hearing the wind on the microphone, and maybe it was for the purpose. Somebody just said, man, that wind's annoying. Man, I don't hear I want you to know what that wind is. The wind represents God's Holy Spirit's desire, the desire God's Spirit is giving you in your life. If you have a desire to surrender to Him, if you have a desire to, to see this trial from His perspective, or you want to stay in your own pity party. The desire's coming from him. Well, what you don't know about the wind is when it's leaving. You know when it's there, but you don't know when it's leaving. So if God is giving you a desire to follow him in any way, that desire's from him. While it is here, surrender yourself to him. So that's all I got to say about that. And that's all God has shown me through this trial. And if I come back to you next week with more kidney stones, I'll have more to say about it. But I'm covering with the blood and praying he's got a different trial. <laughs> I love you guys, but not as much as Jesus. See life from his perspective so you can help others do the same by bragging on him and what he has done. Because if anything's going to get done, it's going to get done through him. Love you guys, but not as much as Jesus loves you.